No. I think you should be very, very careful about what you let back into this control room. You took her from her home. And now she's back in the box again. And she's free. So, Adam, we actually have a little bit of Doctor Who news we can talk about. Yeah, it's not totally silent right now, right? Like, lockdown stuff, I think they've pretty much finished that up, and then we kind of hit a dead spell since we last recorded. It's still mostly silent, but we're we're looking for any, you know, kind of thread of information that we could just kind of, like, make a show out of. And I saw Neil Gaiman's name, and I was like, that's something we could talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime his name gets mentioned which honestly i'm not gonna lie after digging into things a little bit more i thought he was a little bit more connected to doctor who than what he really is but it's like hey he he's a big name he did some solid stuff let's uh let's chat about that that's true like he he is one of those names that like you hear it and it just sounds it's kind of like, oh, Neil Gaiman, like he's a big deal. But then you start thinking about why he's a big deal and you're trying to remember what he's done. And I'm not like, I'm not super familiar. Like I haven't read his novels. Um, I know he's, a lot of the things that he's written have become like TV shows. Oh yeah, um, he is, he is a hot commodity right now. You have um, American Gods, you have Sandman, um, you have Bad, or is it Bad Omens, Omens? Good um, Omens. Good Omens, there you go. Um, he is he is a hot commodity right now when it comes to taking his writing and turning him into media. And he's just like a big name in the geek world, you know. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's like a lot of geek cred with this guy, so it makes sense for him to be involved in Doctor Who. And he, I think he's a big fan, and he he's been talking about writing for Doctor Who for years, and wanted to write for. I think he was wanting to write as far back as Tenant. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, but then ended up only writing for Smith, which we're going to, I think that that's going to be our jumping off point for, because he's back in the news a little bit about Doctor Who. And mostly because like, just like anything in Doctor Who, somebody said they'd like to do it. doesn't mean it's going to happen, but he's, <laughs> yep. he's kind of out there again, talking about how he thinks it'd be cool to write for Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. Right. It It came up just this past week. Um, interview with Digital Spy, Neil Gaiman mentioned that, hey, he he is interested in writing for Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. He is really interested in her as a character. He has some show ideas that he wants to jump on, which when you, when you tried to locate the article, the interview in which he did this, you start to realize that this isn't the first time he's mentioned this. He mentioned this also back in 2018 when he originally said that he wanted to write for Whitaker's Doctor, that he actually had something in mind for Capaldi, but he was too busy working on Good Omens at the time. So it's it's not the first time he's mentioned this, but it is that that little bit of news, right? That little flash in the pan that we needed at this point in time with so little else going on. Yeah, it's enough. It's enough to get us texting each other. And saying we should record an episode. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. You know, what can we do? What you know, so we hear about this Neil Gaiman stuff and we're like, well, he has already written a couple episodes of Doctor Who. Um, and we've never reviewed those episodes. So why not? Let's uh let's review The Doctor's Wife and Nightmare in Silver. Yeah, it, it's it's really hard for me to realize or to to process that 
we missed a lot of um, Matt Smith as the doctor when it comes to our reviews. Um, we, most of Matt Smith. Yeah, most of Matt Smith. <laughs> I mean, the 50th anniversary, right? That was the first Matt, Matt Smith thing that we covered. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it was fun to look back and look at these two episodes specifically, The Doctor's Wife, Nightmare in Silver, and take what we have been doing for so many years for other episodes and kind of jump back into these ones. So we are going to review both of these episodes starting with, I guess we'll start with the one that came first. And um, this is The Doctor's Wife. We're going to kind of review it like we normally do with our, our reviews. And um, when did this one fall? This was season or series six? Yes. Okay. So series six. So this is Amy Rory. Right. Series six, episode four. So it's even fairly early on in Amy and Rory. And interesting too, like when you're, when I'm watching it, because there's things that you kind of, you know, you kind of forget about, right? And, and then they're like discussing, because I remember back in Moffat's era, you know, how everything just tied together so well. Yeah. So they start to talk about stuff that doesn't necessarily work if you haven't seen the previous episodes. Like if you just jumped in and this was the first episode of Doctor Who you ever watched, you would kind of be like, it's definitely a, a, a contained story in and of itself, but there's little threads that you can tell, you know, they're talking about stuff and you're like, what are they talking about? Yeah. And one thing that, one thing that immediately jumped out to me was even the intro and how different oh, yeah. that intro was compared to the intros that we have at this point now where you, you have the typical Doctor Who intro, but it's preceded by um, Amy introducing who who the Doctor is and like her experience with the Doctor, which I had totally spaced that that is what the intro looked like at that point. Yeah, it was like Amy's intro. Yeah. Like a unique recap intro where she's kind of recapping what Doctor Who's all about recapping what doctor who's all about and then also in a very like possessive way who like her doctor who yeah. matt smith's doctor is to her her raggedy man well this was like i mean this is the era of the moffat reboot you know like i know we're still this is the modern series you know we we start we kind of talk about doctor who classic versus modern and you know essentially was rebooted with eccleston but this was a soft reboot you know yeah the matt smith doctor coming in um, with Amy and Rory, and it, there was a big difference between production value. I think they were trying to sell it more to a U.S. audience, um, and I know that it was definitely more relatable to me as a, a viewer of television because it felt more like a, an American television show. Yeah, there, it, it's. I would totally agree. There, there is definitely a different feel jumping into series six than what you had previously. Um, it's yeah, there's, there's something about it. I got very nostalgic. I mean, I did watch these two episodes. We mentioned, uh, the doctor's wife, nightmare and silver. I watched them back to back. Um, but there's just something jumping into this very first episode of rewatching Matt Smith that it's just, I, I couldn't keep a grin off my face the entire time. Yeah, you were excited to see. What was the grin 
Was the grin because of Smith? Was it because of Amy and Rory? Was it a combination of both? I, I think it's a grin that resulted due to just the the feeling of something very familiar. Something that was like, you, you mentioned already, like there's, or we talked about it previously, like there's not the expectations of, oh, what's coming next? You're, you're not trying to guess where things are going. It's just, it's just, you're sitting down with that comfortable episode being very aware of what has happened. You're aware of what's coming next and you can just sit and grin and enjoy. That's the beauty of rewatching stuff. It is. It absolutely I, is. I don't find a ton of time to rewatch movies, TV. Like I, there are like Doctor Who is one of the shows that I will regularly go back and rewatch, but I don't do it too often. Uh, so when I do get a chance, it's, it is, it's very relaxing. It's not stressful. Cause you yeah. just, you already know, you kind of know where it's going. You've already, if you ever had issues with it, you've set those aside a long time ago, you know, like I definitely had my issues with, with Smith's era and, you know, in kind of how everything ended with Smith, I definitely wasn't a huge fan with certain things. So it's kind of nice to go back and just rewatch some stuff without all that baggage. Yeah, there's, there was definitely very little baggage picking up on this episode and it's helped, it helped that. The doctor's wife is a – it holds a special place in my mind because I remember how much I enjoyed it the very first time I watched it. Um, it was just such a unique, quirky episode. And then at, at the beginning, at the start, you have that uniqueness, that quirkiness. You get the goofy interactions between some of the characters. And then as you get further into the episode, there's that tension that builds. There's the um, kind of on the edge of your seat, biting your nails – weird slightly horror elements that a lot of matt smith's episodes had where they would go from this light-hearted affair to this like really dark kind of weird and frightening aspect to it only then to be resolved in a goofy light-hearted manner so yeah it was it's a it's a fun episode to rewatch. yeah i had i could i was trying to remember back on what my initial impressions were of this episode. And I remember remember that I liked the element of the TARDIS being personified. That was a thing that I really enjoyed. But I didn't like other elements of the show. And I remember thinking how silly it was that they built a TARDIS out of out of a junkyard. I remember thinking <laughs> back at that and being like, oh, that was so dumb. And, you know, This time it didn't bother me. But I remember on the initial watching of it, it kind of was a, a little too silly sci-fi. But um, yeah. So this this episode also brings in the element of the Time Lords, which I had kind of forgotten about this episode. That you know, there's a moment in here where the Doctor thinks he's actually going to find some more Time Lords. Yeah, and I remember at the time that being somewhat of a big thing. Like you said, it kind of floated out of my memory that this episode contained that. And I think now where we are with some of the recent developments of time Lords. There are definitely different aspects of this episode that stuck out to me. And it was interesting to have Matt Smith looking for the time Lords again. And there was this, there's this key key part in there that I think hit me brand new that I don't think struck me at the time where Matt Smith is it. Smith's doctor is looking for the other time Lords looking for other time Lords. And Rory's like, what? why are you doing this? It's just because you want forgiveness. And there's just something about the way that Smith reacted to that, saying, like, don't we all? 
that like really struck me. And then in light of everything else that has happened with the Time Lord since, it just certain aspects of that just stuck out. And then even even in regards, I I mentioned it already, um, just as we were talking before we recorded the Corsair, the mention of the Corsair, and I, I think this was the very first time that they even mentioned the Time Lord um, kind of being able to change gender, going from male to female and back and forth. And at the time, I mean, we didn't know what, what that meant or what the future held. And, and it's, it was interesting to see that come up even in an episode so far back. Yeah. I had completely forgotten that that, that came up uh, in this episode. So when he said that, I was like, Whoa, like that's something uh, we knew was coming. Right. Like, well, we didn't know then, but yeah. now rewatching it, you're like, okay, we know, you know, there's going to be multiple instances, not just with the Doctor, but with Missy, and with other Time Lords that they showed that you know regenerate into a different gender. So, so yeah, but at the time that it had never been seen before. So when when they dropped that line about the Corsair and having previously regenerated into a woman twice, uh, that was like, oh, cool. Like they were already kind of hinting at it, although probably Neil Gaiman wasn't hinting at anything. He, he didn't know that that right. was going to happen eventually, but it was just kind of a cool aside. Yeah, and I think it just highlights, again, how, yes, there are plot holes. Yes, there are things that ultimately don't make sense, but there are also these very interesting cohesive elements or these very interesting things that get tossed into an episode only to be brought up years and years later. Um, and it really does lend itself to being a long-term fan, right? Where you can enjoy things that, oh, I remember a mention of this four or five years ago. And that's one that's one thing that I really value about some of our listeners that are like those long-term, not only new who, but classic who fans that call us out. I mean, it, it's fun to hear those things that kind of just float past me in my initial watch or rewatches or what have you to have those highlighted and be like, oh yeah, did you know this is actually ties in here? Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I honestly, if I'm being honest, I forget stuff that happened like the season before, <laughs> you know, like I just don't have that steel trap kind of memory, or maybe I just don't yeah. really watch the episodes enough that I just don't always remember every little detail about things that have already happened. And so it is fun to rediscover things upon a rewatch and start to see connections that you never even thought about. Um, and we'll talk about that probably when we talk about Nightmare and Silver too with with uh, with the Cybermen and kind of yeah. how important they've become. So yeah, it's just it was cool to kind of see and hear these things. Um, I know the Corsair had a little bit more of a life on, you know, kind of in the extended stuff like books and comics and all of that. Um, so we don't really get much more about the Corsair in this episode, other than finding out that he, she, uh, I guess that he was, it was a he when he died, but, um, is no longer with us. Right. Right. And I mean, it looked like he was a pretty big dude when he went out because that, that arm that auntie had was ginormous. Yeah. And it was one of my favorite things about this was seeing Smith be his version of the doctor. Yeah. And I didn't always love everything Smith did as the doctor, but this episode kind of was, this is the, a version of him that I really did like. I liked it when Smith would get angry. Yeah. And when he would get, you know, it was almost like his goofiness and clowniness sometimes was covered. Like it was almost like a cover. 
right. for kind of all the turmoil that was really going on inside of yeah. him. Yep. And this episode really kind of, you know, they were poking the bear a little bit <laughs> with him. Oh, yeah. So he, did he have a line, or maybe I'm just misremembering, did he have a line about he was the one that killed all the Time Lords? Yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. Okay. Because the house made some comment about, like, killing Time Lords, and he's like, well, I killed all of them. I killed them all, and yeah. He, yeah. He, like, just tosses it out, like, no no thought to it whatsoever, but you're right, like, it lands hard. And he's he's got that, that's one thing I do like about Smith is the, his acting. He can turn it, he can go from goofy to dead serious, I'm going to kill you yeah. in, like, a second. And, I, I mean, he, this episode really put that on uh, like it really highlighted that yeah and it's i think you're spot on and i agree a hundred percent this episode had so many of those moments where you could almost feel that like anguish that turmoil that anger and the way that matt smith's face would just emote at times and he's he i mean let's be honest he's got a I don't know. I don't know if I'm I'm I can judge <laughs> based on based on my own face. But he's got a pretty goofy looking face. But then the way that like on the flip of a switch, he can go from being goofy to also just being angry, upset, and you can see it all. Not only can you hear it all in his voice, but you can see it too. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it is that that idea of. And I think they call it out in the 50th anniversary episode, or at least the war doctor does where it's like, you're just, you're just hiding it. <laughs> like you're, mm-hmm. you're just goofing around because you don't want to experience that pain of what you did. Um, this episode highlights that perfectly. Right. Yeah. We run into a couple of weird characters, the, uh, what were they? The auntie and uncle and nephew, nephew. I, I don't I don't care how far away or how many times I see them, Oods still just mess me up. <laughs> Oods are Oods are super creepy. Um uh, Rory and Amy apparently up to this point had never seen one before. Yeah. But the doctor was so excited. He's like, Ooh, an ood. Like he was so excited <laughs> to see an ood. Uh I can fix that for you. Yeah, he fixes yeah, he fixes his voice his voice ball and Yeah. I'm sure there's a technical name for what that thing's called. I but, think it's just like a translator or something like that. But right? yeah, they he fixes that, and that's where he finds out, you know, that there are these messages from these time lords, distress signals. But I thought the, I mean the the inclusion of those characters was fine. I you know they weren't they weren't like stand out to me. I mean the actors that portrayed them did a really good job of just playing, um, playing very bizarre, cracked people. <laughs> yeah you know other I, than the ood he didn't really do much other than kind of walk around and be creepy but the other two were really i tried to look up the actors because they just looked kind of familiar to me i was like oh maybe i know them from other things and they, neither of them really stuck out to me that i had seen them in anything else that i knew but i thought they did a really good job yeah i mean for the characters that they were forced to portray um with the weird appendages and ears and accents and everything else that you want to throw at them and and then their deaths just being like oh house is gone we're gonna die now and then they just like go over and flop over and then (laughs) almost like oh you know what i actually feel fine and then flops over um and smith was like you can't just what do you you can't just up and die yeah exactly weird weird characters um but i mean there's 
there's something about this episode, like when they are on house, I don't know. It fits for me. Like, again, it was one of those weird nostalgic bits where it's like, I remember these, these characters, how strange are they? Um, and then even, uh, Idris, right. That's, that's, that's her name. Yeah. Like, like just how over the top she is once inhabited by the TARDIS because that's what happens, right? They, they crash land on a planet or they, receive the doctor receives mail distress signal psychic um signal goes to the planet um crash lands there the or crash lands there the tardis gives up the ghost we come to find out it's been in the tardis's soul living soul um has been transferred to idris um, because house is going to eat the tardis and can't do it with the tardis inside the tardis does that make sense um yeah yeah, you got to drain yeah. the TARDIS of its power so you can actually right. eat the TARDIS because it's right. too. And if you eat it without draining the power, then it's too much. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. Um, she can't take much more of this, Captain. Um, yeah, so Idris is just going off the rails, um, and it is hilarious to watch. Right. Yeah, that personification of the TARDIS, which the Doctor doesn't initially recognize. Right. What's going on? He has to be convinced that that's her. But once he does recognize it, it's it's really cool. Like I, this is my favorite thing about this episode, is because I've always liked the idea that the TARDIS is a living entity. You know, and the Doctor can kind of, in his own way, communicate with her. And you know, we saw even with the Thirteenth Doctor when Jodie Whittaker was separated from the TARDIS. Remember? And yeah. uh, the monument, you know, and she she found the, she got reunited with the TARDIS and there was that like touching moment like she was, right. you know, yep. like she, there was something that she she was missing the TARDIS almost as if it was a person. And then it's like going back to this episode, you're like, yeah, like the TARDIS essentially is just can't um, express itself um, other than this episode. You know, we haven't really been able to see the TARDIS personified. So I and like. Even just the timey-wimey stuff, the fact she was like starting, she was quoting stuff that they are going right. to say in the future, yeah. you know, so it kind of all comes together with the nature of what the TARDIS is, and it really worked well, I thought, and I thought the the actress did amazing. Yeah, and it, it absolutely changes the dynamic of the Doctor and the TARDIS um, from this point forward, because we get so many um, key things, right, where where the doctor says, you aren't reliable. You never take me where I want to go. And the TARDIS replies, I take you where you need to go. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, that from that point forward, that was so key in kind of the, the way the TARDIS functioned from that point forward. Um, just so many, so many elements of their back and forth. It really does create the TARDIS as a character. Um, I mean, the TARDIS has been, a character previously but really giving that TARDIS that personification that carries forward even from there um, impacting all the way up to Jodie Whittaker's interactions with with the TARDIS and the TARDIS was looking at the the event of the doctor stealing the TARDIS oh yes and saying like you know you you stole me it's you're my thief but I stole you and why would I give you up you know kind of thing yeah yeah and so it was kind of it was cool to see the the perception of of even the history of the doctor through the tardis's eyes um and kind of their origin story which yeah, i feel it, like still kind of you start to think about what's happening now with doctor who and the idea that the first doctor wasn't really the first doctor and it starts to kind of like mess with your head a little bit 
it kind of made me sad again about the fact that they blew up the continuity, I guess is my point. <laughs> <laughs> Don't dwell on that. Enjoy the moment, right? Enjoy, enjoy that idea where she calls him her thief and she says, I stole you. Um, those are, those are the solid moments from this episode. Yeah. And there's even like some flirtation there, you know? Oh, absolutely. She wants to kiss the doctor. She, uh, she likes it when he calls her sexy. You know, there's this little bit of flirtation that I feel like was more one-sided maybe from the TARDIS's perspective, but still, um, you know, that's, I mean, the title of the episode, even being the doctor's wife kind of does hint at there being some sort of a, a deeper friendship between them. Oh yeah. And I don't know. There's the, even at the end of the episode when like Matt Smith is sitting on the underside of the console, like swinging back and forth and connecting wires and stuff. There is still that, like that special look in his eye, right? Where the TARDIS now has that, that personality in his mind. Um, and at the end when she's going away, and she's like, I've been trying to think of that that word that word to say, and it's not by it's hello. Like, such such good writing at certain moments throughout this entire episode. Right. Yeah. Um. The the voice. So house. The voice of the house, or the voice of house, was Michael Sheen. Which, you wouldn't know it. It doesn't sound like him at all. <laughs> but there's a connection there with Neil Gaiman, you know, eventually Michael Sheen goes on to do good omens with David Tennant and Neil Gaiman. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they were working together, um, in Dr. Who before they did good omens. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Did, did that voice show up anywhere else? I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. What do you mean? Was that the voice? Never mind. I'm wrong. I was thinking that voice was also like the Satan pit and stuff like that. But oh, it's not. I, apparently it's there were voice. people that thought, I think that it was the same voice, but then the, okay. I guess once the, once the, the, um, you know, information came out around like who was in the cast of this episode is where too, too many, too many crazy voices, too many crazy voices. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't who. sound like Michael Sheen at all. And honestly, because it's a voiceover, he may not even have met, with Neil Gaiman, you know, there's really no reason that he would. So I guess saying they work together is probably a stretch. Uh, he could have done the voiceover at any point, but maybe they're friends. Maybe they like to work together, but it, it's just, he was a bigger name that, you know, you would know him from yeah. a lot more stuff than you would know anyone else that was on this cast. So um, to have him just kind of do this voiceover and not really any fanfare around the fact that Michael Sheen was in this episode makes me think that there might've just been a kind of like, Hey, you know, Neil Gaiman's friends with him, and you know he just did the voice just for fun. <laughs> Who knows? Well, I'll I'll accept it. I'll accept it. The friendship drove him to do it. There was like a side storyline that I thought was interesting, that I almost felt like it could have been its own episode, that, to explore this idea. But Amy and Rory, kind of getting lost in the TARDIS, and and house had taken control of the TARDIS and Amy and Rory are in there and he's changing up with the way the corridors look and he's making Amy see things and Rory's getting old and dying. And it was just this whole like really bizarro run through the TARDIS twisty kind of mess with your head type of thing that I felt like, wow, that could have been its own episode. Oh, absolutely. And to me, that's like, those are those like traumatic moments that really do 
for me induce fear like that idea i mean there's one point where rory is ancient and he's calling back to the pandorica episodes where he's he's like i waited for you for 2000 years and you've done it to me again like those those are some very traumatic things where it's drawing on buried um hidden pain um of the characters and it's just played out there on the screen all over again those are frightening moments but yeah you're absolutely right like they could have taken an entire episode and just done shticks like that throughout the entire thing and it would have been a solid episode yeah yeah that, definitely and i mean they love their old people makeup in this show too they just love <laughs> yes. to put old people makeup on these people yep absolutely. that was some really like intense makeup that he was wearing though he was almost unrecognizable yeah and i mean and then you have the walls like hate <laughs> hate kill amy like oh yeah it was disturbing yeah. yeah exactly yeah but there are some some kind of aside things i thought were fun uh, i like that when she said uh the pretty one when it just said the pretty <laughs> one and she and and the doctor just assumed she was talking about amy but she was actually talking about rory i thought that was funny Yep, yep, that 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 elicited a laugh, and then when when the doctor keeps jumping into it, and he's like, "Wait, that's Rory. Rory's the pretty, that's not a pretty one." Um, yeah, that we got a doctor's a tenth doctor control room can cameo. Yeah, yep. which um, apparently, room. if you read it, if you kind of look into the behind the scenes stuff on this episode, apparently, like Neil Gaiman had already been planning to be writing an episode and had this in mind, and when they when they switched over from um you know one showrunner to the next he they purposely didn't destroy the tardis um you know the 10th doctor's tardis console because they knew it was going to be used for this episode huh so and i don't know you know i'm just quoting things that i read online yeah. so i don't know how much research has been done into that but that sounds like that's pretty interesting because why else would they have kept that, you know? Right. It would have been a pain just to rebuild it for literally one episode, right? Like, yeah. It doesn't show up. Eh, I don't know. I don't think it shows up anywhere else from that point forward. No, I think it was, I mean, it sounded like it was just, you know, they kept it because they knew Neil Gaiman was going to be doing an episode eventually and he wanted to utilize it. And, um, and apparently the idea of him doing an episode had been in the works for quite a while and it was supposed to be, even I think it was supposed to be in season five that his episode was supposed to air, but then it ended up getting delayed to to series six. So, huh? So yeah, was, but I thought that was funny. Um, the when the doctor was talking about the TARDIS uh, or telling Amy and Rory like she's the TARDIS, you know, she's a woman, <laughs> she's the TARDIS, she's a woman. He kept repeating herself, and then Amy was like, "Did you wish really wish hard?" Really hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I literally laughed out loud. I had not remembered. That moment, you know, I just did not remember that line. And so when I was watching it back for the first time, I was, I laughed out loud when she said that. That's, there's that ending part because then, I mean, at, up to that point, Nephew was attacking Rory and Amy and then they materialize and it just disintegrates Nephew. And so mm. they're like, oh no, where's Nephew? And <laughs> Doctor, you're breathing him. Amy, oh, come on. And then the Doctor, another ood I failed to save. Like, <laughs> that line also caught me off guard because it's like, oh, dang, that's poor poor ood's. <laughs> the, the Doctor has terrible luck with them. <laughs> but, I mean, for me, this was a fun one. I liked watching it again. I liked Smith uh, as the Doctor in this one. I miss Amy and Rory. 
so seeing them again was fun and just the, the whole idea of you know the connection to time lords the idea of the tardis having a personification like all of that really worked for me so this is this was a good one Oh, absolutely. I You mentioned that there's like so many string strands that tie to previous stuff, stuff that comes later uh, in regards to just the storyline of the series. And yet this episode to me feels like one that you can really extract from the entire series, sit down, watch, enjoy it. Um, and, and you don't miss out on anything because in the episode itself, there's so much, so many fun things that take place. Um, I, I, thoroughly enjoyed watching this episode again watched it the entire time with the grin on my face um with with my wife wondering because i had headphones in watching it wondering why in the world i was smiling so much throughout this entire episode um such a such a good episode to go back and rewatch. and a couple of the things that were you know just them dropping lines that meant something outside of the episode was amy and rory had already witnessed the doctor dying yeah. And they know it's going to happen, but they don't think it's going to happen for like another 200 years. Right. So they drop that line on you. And then you're starting to think back, oh, yeah, like what episodes do I need to watch to, to see that? But um, and then there was a line where Idris had said to Rory uh, that the, the only, only water in the forest is the river. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think was, you know, pre, you know, it was kind of hinting at some of the events that were coming up with the river and revealing who she really was. So, yeah. So that's Moffat, right? You know, that's Moffat for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Laying down all these strands that you really hope he ties up all the loose ends by the end of the series. And I, I mean, honestly, I the whole the only water in the forest is the river. The fact that that line got dropped. I by the time the reveal came around, I probably totally forgot. Oh, yeah. So I don't this is the first time I'm probably making that connection because I'm rewatching this episode for the first time in years. And so I'm thinking, oh, wow, like I would have never picked up on that. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, bravo Moffat. Yep. Good episode. Good yeah. episode. It was a good and one. from, I mean, that's the, that's the first episode, um, that aired on TV that Neil Gaiman, Gaiman wrote. Yep. So the next one is nightmare and silver. And what's the, when did this one happen? Series 7, episode 12, okay. May 11th of 2013. Dang, 2013, seven years ago. Remember when Smith was the current doctor? <laughs> <laughs> That's how old we are. Oh, but, man. Yeah, this one, so now we're, we're far enough out in the future that it's different. You know, it's different. Same doctor. Yeah. So Neil, Neil Gaiman only got to write for one doctor. But it's same doctor, but new companion new outfit doctor's not wearing the same threads it's so it's a different you know this is clara this is clara time so you and you get that right at the beginning of the episode you get the tardis landing and clara's head pops out and you're like oh okay new new companion and then the kids heads pop out and you're like oh crap i forgot their kids in this one. Oh yep <laughs> that was that was my <laughs> response exactly it was like oh crap where do they come from again like why are they here these aren't the kids with uh Danny Pink. These are not the the kids from the school, right? They're just her babysitting kids because Clara at this point is still the impossible girl. Yep, she's a nanny for these kids, right? Like she's their caretaker. Yeah. Yep. Um. So yes, this is uh, and I mean I liked Clara, fine, but she definitely wasn't my favorite companion. She kind of falls 
if you're talking modern, she's definitely not it. You know, she's not she's not Rose. She's not Amy and Rory. Like she's kind of she falls below them for me. So, so yeah, um, she was she's fine. <laughs> she's still an interesting companion though. Like there is something. I don't know if it's something that they intentionally t- tried to do with her. If it's just something with the way the dynamic between Smith uh, and Clara worked out. Like, I don't, I don't know what there is, but there is, there is an interesting dynamic between the doctor and this character. Maybe because it's the first companion since Donna, maybe that was not just enthralled by the doctor. Um, someone who was willing to call his bluff, someone that was willing to stick up to or yeah, stick up to him. Does that make sense? Stand up to him. There we go. Um, I don't know if that's the dynamic, but there's this, there's a weird tension throughout this entire episode where you don't really know who's, who's the one that's playing who at this point throughout the episode. But yeah, I, it's a it's an interesting one to jump into if you're just reviewing two episodes right yeah definitely and i mean we're talking talking about companions and and the doctor and everything like it kind of makes me think and i i was looking at you know looking through hbo max which is now the way to watch doctor who and kind of looking at the different seasons and the doctors and you know, I actually this this actually spurred on me watching a lot of Doctor Who in the past you know week because we were preparing for this. So I watched not just these two episodes, but a, a number of other episodes as well, and kind of noticing that pattern. That I'm sure you know, it's not like it's a, this is any kind of major revelation to anyone, but you know, there's a, there is a pattern when it comes to doctors. You know how long a doctor r- runs, and yeah. you know with Eccleston as the exception because his you know he did one season and was done. Every other doctor did three seasons, and and Jodie Whittaker is about to start her third season. So yeah, so it's just something that kind of came to my head when I was looking through this. I'm like, oh yeah, she's maybe you know they might be if they're going to stick to that pattern, you know, this might be it for her and one more season and then kind of moving to the next doctor. So yeah, and if we want to go there, I would not be surprised if that's the case. I know that there were rumors, there were conversations, there were mentions of different things. Um, I, I would not be surprised if that pattern held true for Whitaker's doctor as well. I think the most interesting thing that I'm, I'm pondering or trying to think through is the companion situation. Um, just because we already know that it sounds like it seems like there's going to be some shake up there. I'm really still curious to hear what happens with Whitaker's companions. Um, but I mean, we're, that's how, nothing to do with this episode. I was going to say, see how boring Nightmare and Silver is that we're already talking about oh, something else? No, don't, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't <laughs> that's rain my, on, rain on that parade. That's me tipping my hand on my overall review of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a chess game. That was kind of cool. But. <laughs> there's a chess game. I mean, Warwick Davis is in it. That was the best part, honestly. For me, and I'm not even a huge Warwick Davis fan. Like he, I know he he's part of like I'm a big Star Wars fan, and Warwick Davis is very connected to Star Wars. But I've seen him at a lot of events. You know, he's done a lot of hosting, yeah, for these conventions. So I've seen him a ton, and I'm kind of like, you almost start to get tired. You see these these celebrities in like these real life situations, and you start to get tired of seeing them. <laughs> okay, Warwick Davis, cool, like. So I kind of like I'm not a huge Warwick Davis fan, but this episode 
solid acting from him. Like oh, he yeah. actually plays a different type of character than maybe you're used to seeing him play. And he's very like, he's almost like cool and suave. Oh yeah. And I really yeah. liked that. Like he played it really, I, I, it was kind of one of my favorite portrayals um, that he's done. He, he has a, uh, he has an, a downplayed control throughout the entire episode, right? He definitely seems like he still is that hesitant ruler because he ends up being the emperor at the end of it. Um, he he doesn't necessarily want to be in that position, but yet there's still like this this gravitas that he walks around the episode with. Like he he knows the position that he holds. Um, he's he he was a fun character, um, and the fact that his name is Porridge um, <laughs> during the episode that that's another little. Another little plus one to uh, porridge, to the benefit yeah. of him, and he actually gave Clara porridge at one point. Yeah, yeah, okay. he's or some he's a, sort of soup, but. some sort of soup. He's a fun character, fun character. So what were so for you? Because like honestly, for me, this episode after watching the Doctor's Wife, this was a lot. Just it fell f- much further down, and I didn't really enjoy the kids aspect. Um, that stuff. The Cybermen, they're although Cybermen are always try they try to portray them as like this big threat in this episode. It just felt really goofy. Yeah. So I don't know. Like for me, there was a lot, and I'm sure we, we can talk through other things too. I'm not going to go down a whole list of everything I didn't like, but uh, what were the things that you did like about? Like, what were the redeeming qualities of this episode? Yeah, I think I so I I think this could go either way. Um, but there was some aspects of Matt Smith's Gollum-esque portrayal of the doctor battling with the cyber planner in his, in his head that I kind of, I kind of liked it again, just because it's like, you got to see, you got to see Matt Smith do something strange, odd, and he did it surprisingly well. <laughs> the way that he switched back and forth between the cyber planner in his head and being the doctor and kind of battling with himself. Um, now, it was definitely overplayed at moments, but I do think that was a solid redeeming quality of the episode. You probably disagree with me, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, that one's an easy one for me. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I will take cyber mites over the flying cyber heads that we got this last episode. Cyber drone. Yeah, the cyber drones any day. Cyber mites make so much more sense to me. Yeah, and cyber mites actually have some sort of like, you know, there's there's danger there. You know, it's oh, this yeah. little thing. You can't really see it. It's, you know, it can, if it attaches to you, it can turn you into a cyberman. Like, those, yeah, there there's danger there. I, I enjoyed the introduction of the cyber mite that was not a problem for me uh talking about the doctor and matt smith's portrayal in that that was probably my least favorite part maybe not my least but it was definitely a part that stuck out to me is it just the back and forth it just was so silly uh a couple i mean they used the whole smack him in the face to snap him out of it like that wasn't even just a one-time gag like they did multiple times more than once was a little much yeah, and like his reaction to it, the uh, just everything. I I think in my notes I just put like Matt Smith is overacting in this episode. Like he's just <laughs> really, yeah. I'm I'm looking at my notes right now. Some overacting by Smith in this one is what I wrote. <laughs> but what what about the use of the gold leaf on his cheek? We got <laughs> reference to that 
Whitaker's final episodes, right? The use of gold. Right, yeah. And, I mean, the idea of a Siberium, is that what they called them here? Or See, it that's, Siberiad, that's the thing. Or I yeah, that's the thing that I went back and forth with because it's like, okay, we, we have just been introduced to the Siberium. In this episode, it's the Siberiad and the okay. Cyber Planner. So it's like watching that progression, or in my mind, what would have been a progression from the Siberiad, the Cyber Planner, and then all of a sudden you have like this all-controlling, crazy um, mastermind of the Siberium. Um, I don't know. It's just like, in some senses, it's like you watch, seeing like this progression from where they were in this episode, the Cybermen were in this episode, to where they are when it seems like they're just the overwhelming force in right. the last couple episodes. And it definitely is like a precursor um, to that idea. So, yeah. you know, you could say that Neil Gaiman kind of set the seed for what ends up happening in our current season of Doctor Who. And so I did like that connection. I love it when you can kind of connect some of these things together because it makes you feel like the writers in the future are paying attention to stuff that's happened in the past, you know? Yeah. And yep. I like that. So I did I did like that idea. And I don't think they ever really clearly say when this is supposed to be set time-wise. Yeah, um, not so really. You don't know where, you know, along the progression of the Cybermen because they've been destroyed so many times, but then something kind of survives. And even at the end of this one, I believe, you know, they think they destroy them by imploding the planet, but then you see a Cybermite yep. kind of flying through space. So it's like, okay, yeah. well, maybe that Cybermite did something that led to something else. And then, you know, you get what we see later on. And I think, if I remember correctly, that this is the first appearance of like the new version of Cybermen. Okay. Um, in modern who, whereas like the previous incarnations were always like an older style armor. And this was the kind of first time that they kind of like had a more sleek look to them. They, they could kind of, um, change, like they were super speed and they, you, you know, can kind of just on the fly when they're getting shot and all that was kind of new. So huh. I, I will say this. Um, so this episode I decided to watch it middle of the day, um, sitting on my couch, living room, TV on. My kids are home. My son walks in and he decides to sit down and watch um, Doctor Who with me. He's eight years old. The Cybermen mm. troubled him. Like he was scared of the Cybermen to the point where at some point I paused it. I said, is this too much for you? And he's like, yeah. And he walks out of the, walks out of the living room. So it's Cybermen are kind of like, tried true kind of overplayed for us we we know who they are they aren't really all that frightening but it is one of those things where it's like huh maybe they are <laughs> maybe they maybe they do cause concern because he's like are they are they turning the kids into cybermen I'm like yeah that's kind of what they want to do you have the one guy that which that's another thing the guy with half the face um i thought that played off pretty cool the well, I'll talk. You said your son watched it, and, and my son actually it's kind of a similar story. My son sat down and watched it with me as I had it on, and he also was really disturbed by the Cybermen. So, yeah, you know, Cybermen are scary to eight year olds, apparently, <laughs> but uh, we're not eight, so <laughs> we we're, I know and a lot of times people say, Well, the target audience, kind of the same thing people say for Star Wars a lot. It's like, Well, you're not, you know, the target audience is younger, and you're you're jaded, and you're old, and stop talking, you know, so. That's probably just part of the problem. Well, well, here's the thing. It's going to be a hard sell for me to ever get my son to watch uh, Doctor Who with me again. He flat out said that he's never going to watch it. So wow, I might have that, burned that bridge. 
that disturbing, huh? Yeah, I, I might need to find a good good episode for him to watch with me. Well, they did. One of the things I thought was interesting was the way that when the Cybermen would get shot and the way they were exploding. Did yeah. you catch that? It was almost like this like goo, or like glueish, like white stuff. Like Primarily coming. when their heads exploded. Yeah, when their heads, it was just like, ooh, that's really violent. That's yeah, really, that, it was disturbing. That was a little, that was a little much, I have to say. Um, how about how about the Cybermen upgrading almost on a minute by minute basis? Right, there was no mm-hmm. getting ahead of them in this episode. They walked into the moat. They, or one of them walked into the moat, got electrocuted for maybe ten seconds, and then was like upgrade in progress, and then they're impervious. Um, yeah, how did that I, hit you? I mean, it was fine. Like, it's kind of one of the things about Cybermen, I guess, that's intimidating. And I just don't remember them or know that they upgrade that quickly. I think that, well, I think that, like I was saying, I think that kind of originated with this episode. And then in the future, um, you know, they seem to be a little bit more adaptive. Yeah. um, But yeah, I just once I want the doctor to come across military personnel that are actually like well-trained, good soldiers. (laughs) It feels like that's another trope of Doctor Who that anytime he runs into the military, it's always like, like what these people, where do they find these people? Like when they're casting this, for this, like we want this people the to punishment like, platoon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there's like a story reason behind it, but it was just kind of like really funny to see these, some of these characters are like, Oh my gosh, like you should not be holding a gun. That's did, did you catch the names of the characters? Uh, nothing notable. Why beauty brains, ha ha missy <laughs> like the, oh. that's that's the names of the uh soldiers that's funny i did catch that one of them was named missy so i was like oh yeah yeah missy so we'll find out later that was actually a a reincarnation of the master <laughs> just just showing up ahead of time i think she might have died though i think missy was the first one to die well she, yeah i think she was she did die i believe i think you're right yeah yeah so she got choked out <laughs> <laughs> by the detaching hand which probably yeah, another silly part stuff, that wasn't all that sure. cool yeah. yeah i mean at, at the end of the day i mean let's be honest not the strongest episode i think i messaged you and said that i didn't hate it though um it's definitely not a um sand in your eye episode it's not the moon is an egg episode mm. it does have I mean, it's not strong, but at least seems to fit with some aspects of Doctor Who. It's not totally out there and it's not a throwaway episode. Yeah. I, with If Warwick Davis is, as a guest star is my favorite part about an episode, it's probably not a good episode. <laughs> because there really wasn't like Matt Smith's portrayal of the Doctor is not my favorite way of him playing the Doctor. Um, he got, you know, ultra goofy. Uh, even the sw- switching back and forth, I actually didn't think he did that well. Between that, I thought it just felt really forced and overacting. And Clara, the way she was in it, I like Clara in some episodes. Didn't really like her in this episode. The kids being part of it, I'm never usually a big fan of kids being in episodes that much. So it just it was a formula for me not to like it. And you know, I still feel like it probably is kind of more middle of the road. I wouldn't say it's like a bad episode. But it just didn't, nothing about it was exciting or fun to me. It was kind of more just like, eh, this is kind of silly. 
Okay, so best part of the entire episode, and I just found it here. When the doctor says, don't wander off now. Now, I'm not just saying don't wander off. I mean it. Otherwise, you'll wander off, and the next thing you know, someone's going to have to start saving somebody from what? Nothing. No one needs rescuing <laughs> from anything. Don't wander off. Sweet dreams. Like, that. I, if I had to say that was that was probably my favorite part of the episode because I think that part Smith played it perfectly. Yeah. And I mean, that was, that was good Smith. And that was, uh, it was funny that and he just terrifies that kid. Like he's trying to reassure the kid, but he just terrifies the kid. And that's exactly <laughs> yeah. like, that's so Matt Smith. So, and then just walks off. Yeah. And I know there were like, I, the notes I took on this one were much shorter than the notes I took on doctor's wife, just because I wasn't as engaged but I know there were moments that I laughed. There were definitely moments that, you know, there were some really funny lines in this one. So, I mean, it wasn't like a horrible episode by any means. Just just not one of my favorites. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I agree. It and it was, reminded uh... me of why it, it definitely reminded me of why I was ready for Smith to be done as the doctor. Because the same I... frustrations I was feeling toward the end of his run, I was feeling in this episode. Like I was kind of I mean, like, okay, this is we're, a little silly. We're right there. This is episode 12 out of 15, which the 15th being the Christmas special. So yep. you have following this episode, you have the name of the doctor, the day of the doctor and the time of the doctor. So, so this is the end. Basically he's right this there. This is the end of Smith's run. So maybe they, maybe they purposely did a fun, more silly episode here so we could be prepared for the darker stuff to come. So uh, it... Smith's end wasn't, entirely dark <laughs> well his the christmas special which we, you know we definitely did review that so go back if you've never heard me bash into a doctor who episode go <laughs> listen to that one but um yeah other than the christmas special though i think kind of the stuff with the um trenzalore yeah. you know all of that and the doctor's time stream and you know the the giant tardis tomb you know i don't know it did it does get kind of it does start to get a little darker yeah, absolutely. Dang, the time frames of these episodes are weird because it went Nightmare in Silver was the 11th of May 2013. Name of the Doctor, 18th of May 2013. Day of the Doctor, 23rd of November 2013. Mm-hmm. And then Time of the Doctor, 25th of December 2013. Yeah, they that, that was, I mean, Doctor Who. We had a Who, Thanksgiving special, a Thanksgiving Day special. That's something that I think we forget as long as we've been reviewing Doctor Who, that they always have been weird with the schedule. Like, it's never been yeah. consistent. They throw, you know, they'll have these huge gaps, and then some, and then now we're getting all the season together. Yeah. You know, so then you have a huge time to wait until the next thing. So, yeah, they, it, even back as far as, if you look back as far as Tennant's run, you know, in his final kind of stuff, they, they did like num- a number of specials with him that were really yeah. spaced out. And, yeah. you know, he, he did it for a number of years, but he really only did three seasons. But it stretched out across more more than that as far as years go. Right. So yeah, it's it's never been a consistent schedule with Doctor Who, and it probably you know even with new stuff to come, they'll probably switch it. It used to be on Sundays, right? And then or no, it used to be on Saturdays, and then it, then they switch it to Sundays. So yeah. So yeah. It I mean, even, at least we're aligned with uh, when it airs on in the BBC as far as on the same day. Right. Right. <laughs> we we don't have to wait that extra the extra time. If, if nothing else, though, I think one thing that this episode has done is it makes me want to go back 
and watch um, Series 7 again from the beginning just because it's like there's that that transition to Clara like it's such a it's a such an interesting one looking at the episode titles because you have series seven starts with asylum of the daleks so that is a clara episode right you have souffle girl um then you have dinosaurs on a spaceship back to rory and amy (laughs) town called mercy rory and amy power of three rory and amy angels take manhattan that's the end of rory and amy and it was like that weird yeah like mid-season switch up yeah, with the, and then with the, the Great Canis. Detective, which I don't have any memory of what that is, but, um, and then you have the Snowmen. Then you get back to the Bells of Saint John, the Rings of Octan, mm-hmm. Octen, Cold War, Hyde, Journey in the Center of the Tardis, the Crimson Horror, and then Nightmare in Silver. So, yeah, I want to go back and watch that transition again. Anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a couple of bold statements based off this episode. Yeah. Because I think Claire's best time was with Capaldi. Okay. After seeing her again with Smith and and remembering kind of how she came in with Smith. And it was very, like, in the middle of a season and it kind of felt weird. And I never really bought them as a companion uh, doctor pairing. I just never really could buy into it. And But she, I thought her time with Capaldi was much better. Like, I started liking Clara better with Capaldi. Uh, so I'll throw that out there. But the other thing is I went back and watched some tenant stuff after this and was just like this, there's no contest. Like I used to, <laughs> it, it, as time goes on, I start to really appreciate every doctor, every version of the doctor. I appreciate, um, especially if we're talking modern series, I love Eccleston Smith, tenant Capaldi, you know, Whitaker. I like them all, but I kind of thought they were closer, you know, like, oh, I yeah. kind of like, you know, Smith and Tennant. They're pretty close. Now I've watched some Smith, and I went back and watched some Tennant on the same day. It's not even close. Like, Tennant just blows him out of the water. Hands down, my favorite doctor. So That is that is a that is a very bold statement, and I think maybe we should explore that in a future episode. <laughs> All right. Well, we will. Um, we will definitely. Re- because something we should probably say before we before we end our episode. Um, we do have something coming up where next episode, we're going to do a David Tennant kind of spotlight and we're going to talk about kind of our favorite episodes of David Tennant, but we're also, we, we, we kind of teased it before, but we, um, we're talking, talking to Sony who are the ones that, um, that publish his podcast. And so we're going to actually help them promote his podcast on our next episode as well and include um a clip from his show and just kind of help them promote it and then we'll do kind of a david Tennant spotlight um in the next episode so you guys have that to look forward to um we did our neil gaiman spotlight today but next episode is going to be a david Tennant spotlight and we'll get to unpack i that we're gonna have to take some time to unpack where we stand after watching some smith episodes some Tennant episodes we'll run through favorite tenant episodes but we might need to talk through this a little bit more yeah I'm, I'm fine with it i like talking through you know this stuff and um so did we land on like we're gonna look at our top five is that what yeah. we're gonna do i mean top five for you top five for me we're yeah, not gonna have each. a combined list of top five i'm not fighting that battle with you oh no no we would definitely not agree well i don't know we'll see 
because uh, we'll the, the cool thing is I don't think we're going to really compare notes. So when we get to the episode and we record, I'm not going to know what your top five is. You're not going to know what my top five is. And we'll see, we'll see kind of where we align with tenant and where we don't. But I've already started, man. I've already started my research. I've looking through, <laughs> you know, I think I already know my top five. Like I, that's I think crazy. Just based that on is... titles, I'm like, oh yeah, that's okay. And like, I'm already eliminating ones, and there's some that are kind of on the edge, maybe in, maybe out. So I'm super excited to kind of do a full episode where we just kind of go back and forth on the best of the best doctor. Oh, <laughs> I so bad want to. I so bad badly want to ruin this right now and tell you an episode that you cannot have on your list. But I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna bite my tongue, and we're gonna go into this totally blind. Awesome. So, all right. Well, was there anything else that we missed on the gaming episodes? No. I mean, there's there's two of them. One solid, enjoyable episode. The other one, like you said, middle of the road. Meh. It's okay. Not not an incredible showing. But I will say, if he wants to write one for Whitaker, I'm all for it. Bring it on. Yes. Yeah. I'm same. I I liked it. I really liked what he did with the Doctor's Wife. So even though Nightmare and Silver wasn't as good. I'm still I'm still game for him to write more, so that's that would be cool. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, stick around, guys, for the next episode. I think it's gonna be really fun. Definitely check that one out. If you guys want to listen to our back library, if you're just disc- discovering us and you want to go back and listen to our old episodes, you can find them on iTunes or pretty much any other podcatcher. You can find us all of our episodes on our website, badwolfpodcast.com, and. Yeah, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and all the things. So until next time. Yeah, catch y'all later. Allons-y. Allons-y. When did that happen? That happened. He drops. Yeah, he dropped it in Nightmare and Silver, which I still don't get in context for why he dropped it, but he does. I think they just wanted that. They just wanted a reference. Because he does get into, we didn't really talk about this, but I'll, I'll leave this in does kind of get into that conversation where he's talking to the planner but he, they're in kind of like this other like they're in, yeah. the head, in his head kind of thing yeah and you get that kind of traditional run through the doctors yeah they show yeah. all the doctors or they show the feds that's kind of a common thing that the doc that doctor who likes to do from time to time so that was kind of that was kind of cool to see them kind of do the whole run through the doctors and, and you know get the get those references when he said Alonzi and all that so yeah I'm, I'm reading I'm reading through there right now they're in the throne room right that's good I won't be able to move my hand or move but my hands are free good you're playing chess with yourself and winning he tears a gold ticket from the implants and acquires a northern accent eighth doctor style I did not pick up on that hmm. um Neither did I. Actu- actually he has no better than 25 percent chance of winning in the stage of the game some very dodgy moves at the beginning hello flesh girl fantastic i'm the cyber planner doctor afraid not i'm working the math mouth now alan z i have no idea why that's thrown in there though yeah maybe it's just in his head you know yeah but oh he's had some he, oh okay oh you should see the state of these neurons he's had some cowboys in here 10 complete rejigs anyways i guess the uh the previous rejigs were were so hidden away that not even the oh. cyber plane could find them. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, right? I thought that when, when I was watching the episode. He's like 10 complete rejigs. I'm like, okay, well, he's the 11th Doctor, 10 different rejigs. That makes sense. But then you're like, wait, the War Doctor hasn't been revealed yet. Yep. So there should be 11. Oh, wait, 
you know, now we know there's a ton more regenerations previous to the first doctor. So those weren't in there. So like, yeah, that's, yeah, obviously you can explain that away with whatever you want in universe. You know, the doctor had buried it so deep down inside him that not even the cyber planner could find it, like whatever. But, you know, there, there is Well, the doctor didn't even know at that point, right? Like Whitaker, Whitaker only finds out about it. Well, the doctor knew that the war doctor existed. So there should have at least been one more in there, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but those are the little things that it's just fun to kind of point out, but it's not a huge deal when it comes to the overall continuity. Looking at the transcripts, the site for transcripts that I go to, it's like 10th or 11th and 12th doctor, David Tennant. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They write all the numbers down. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, you know what I think about the numbering? (laughs) No, I don't, Eric. Please tell me again. Messing up the numbering. (laughs) (laughs) My OCD. It messes with my OCD. Uh, I'm looking at the episode titles for Tenant, and it is going to be an impossible task that we have in front the of us. The impossible task. That should be the title of our episode. Goodness. Uh, 